Amen. Amen. Hey, real quick, can we thank not only our worship team, but the team that Jay assembled of students that are leading worship? Can we thank them? Thanks, Michael. Man, that is so exciting, you guys. There are uh, right now we have over 60 high school students that are serving every single weekend around this campus. It's absolutely amazing. It's fun to see them all over the place on the cameras, uh, in worship, in kids ministry, greeting all over the place. So that is just so cool. Make sure you say hi to a student. Um, we're, we're, we're sort of landing the plane. We're finishing our last mile in a long walk of obedience. We've been for weeks and weeks and weeks exploring uh, the book of James. James, and this Sunday and next Sunday are our last two weeks in this text. And I think as James sort of lands the plane and, and helps us run through the finish line, I think today specifically he wants to help us learn what does it mean to choose God, to serve God, to follow God when it doesn't make sense. I want to invite the offering, Jay. Thanks for that. Did everyone see that? I mean, we all saw that, right? Like, he was trying to be so sly. Man, Jay just saved me from getting fired. If you're an usher, could you come forward? As you come forward, we're going to take our offering. And hey, we say this every week here. We say this every week. But we believe generous people transform the world. Jay, you, you are something, man. Uh, you are something. We believe generous people transform the world. And so as we take our offering, this is for those of us that call Purpose Church our home. Uh, If you're a guest, there is no obligation here. We are just, in fact, really excited that you're here. While our amazing ushers are taking offering, I believe that today God wants to teach us and show us how to follow him, how to choose him, even when it doesn't make sense. And then I think he wants to surprise us with the truth that when we choose him, I believe we will find ourselves saying things like, I never saw that coming. I I never saw it coming how effective and amazing and incredible our Purpose Kids Camp would be. This this summer has been an absolutely mind-blowing summer for our kids and our students. We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids in here every single week worshiping Jesus, learning about him, even some of them surrendering their lives to him. Then we took some of our fifth and sixth grade students off to Thousand Pines, and they had an absolutely amazing time. Our junior hires, they went to Camp Tioga, which was like the brainchild of Pastor Adrian and his amazing team. And that was absolutely incredible. And then our high schoolers just got back from Hume Lake and to see baptisms and to see salvations and to see really significant changes being made in students' lives is absolutely amazing. But what I never saw coming was for me at the beginning of all of that, Jana Elira had a concert up here on stage and she had all of the dads come up on stage and dance. And so I was up there dancing and some of you dads were there. Some of you weren't dancing, which I I wasn't okay with, but the rest of us were up on stage dancing. Everything was great. And then I walk off the stage, literally like the second step right here. I get to the second step to go to the first step, which is like my kids can do that. Um, What happens is I kind of step past that first step and just land weird on my leg. And all of a sudden I feel this pop and this pain and I hobble over to the seats and I sit down and, and people have to kind of help carry me out because I just can't walk. And I, I go to the ER and, and they check out my leg and they find out that I have a torn meniscus. And the best part was the nurse who was interviewing me, she goes, she goes, so, and there's a bunch of people around and, you know, they've got crazy injuries, like all kinds of gnarly stuff. And, and she goes, so sir, let me get this straight you fell off a curb, 
right? Like that very condescending curb. And I was like, no, I didn't fall off a curb. It's like carpeted two-step. You know, it's a really big deal. Like this is a really big deal. And, and, but here's the best part, you guys, here's the best part. So I figured that, you know, this happened to me because I am overweight, old, and just categorically lame. You know what I mean? Like that's why I thought this happened to me. Sarah, thank God for my wife, Sarah. She did some research and she found out that this kind of meniscus tear that I have is called a bucket handle tear. And here's who it's most common amongst. These are the people who get bucket handle tears. They are people who are 35 and under, check, that's me, right? 35 and under, and they're athletes. They're athletes. You guys, like what I'm dealing with, Olympians get. Like, I just find it to be the funniest thing in the world that despite you guys not believing it, my body is convinced I'm an Olympian. You know what I mean? They, they're convinced. It's convinced that we're about to set a record together. And, and I look back and I go, man, I just, I just never saw that coming this summer. A few months ago, in fact, right after Easter, my wife scheduled an appointment for me. And this is an appointment that I had been avoiding for years and years and years and years. And there's many conversations in our household leading up to this appointment where my wife will say something to the effect of, Eric, you have a snoring problem, okay? And it's not just like mild snoring. Like, you sound like you're gonna die. Like, hundreds of times throughout the night, we need to get this taken care of. And I'm like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, you're fine. I made it through the night, everything's great, right? And she's like, the problem is I don't sleep. Like, I just don't sleep because you are snoring like crazy. So I go to this sleep study and it's like eight o'clock at night and I check in, fill out some paperwork and then the tech comes in and they put you inside of this kind of like hospital room and it's supposed to feel like, you know, a hotel, but it's just a hospital room and they, you know, you're gonna sleep in this bed and they're gonna monitor you the whole night. I remember sitting down on sort of the, the edge of the bed and, and the tech begins to start hooking me up to all these different monitors and connections and it becomes more and more uncomfortable and I can't move the more and more he hooks me up. And, and then I have this thought, I'm like, I gotta go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? Like, I just gotta go to the bathroom and it doesn't look like that's gonna happen tonight. And so I'm kind of just getting hooked up. And, and I remember I looked over at the bathroom. There's a bathroom in the room and there's just this door and the door is open. And so I hadn't been, I hadn't gone in there. And so he's kind of hooking me up and I'm like, whatever, I'll just wait till the morning. And so he hooks me up and then he kind of like slowly walks me back to the bed. And like, literally like I was a kid, like he just kind of tucks me in. And I was like, can you read me a story? You know what I mean? Like I'm sitting there and he like lays me down and tucks and puts the covers over me. And he's like, you know, now don't move. Like we don't want to take these things off. We want to just watch you the whole night. And, and it's going to, you know, you need to just lay still. And, and I really have to go to the bathroom. And then I'm sitting there and, and right before I leave, now this guy and I, we'd had a great conversation about Jesus. He's a Christian. He goes to this amazing church. We had this awesome, awesome conversation. I was telling him about how incredible our church is. And all of a sudden, right as he's about to leave, he turns off the TV and he looks at me and he goes, hey, just random question. Do you believe in ghosts? And I do not like where this is going. Like, I am not okay at this point. And I go, no, I don't really believe in ghosts, man. I, I just think it's one of the ways the enemy messes with people to kind of satisfy them spiritually without them actually being in a relationship with Jesus. So I'm not really a big fan of ghosts. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, dude, me too. Like, I don't believe in ghosts either. But the last guy who slept in the bed you're in, he said the whole night he saw somebody hovering over him. 
I am like an inherently terrified person. I don't watch anything above PG. I get so scared. I get so scared. I'm thinking I'm going to get kidnapped. My whole life I've always thought I was going to be kidnapped. I am so terrified. And he tells me that. He goes, and then, and then he said, and then there was another guy in another room. And he said the whole night he felt somebody tickling his feet. (laughs) I'm like, I got to pee. I haven't been in that bathroom. I don't know what creepy dude is hiding in that bathroom and is going to tickle my feet. And then he goes, and then he goes, and, and the craziest thing is one of our techs recently walked out of the hallway and there's like 20 of these rooms and it was the middle of the night and he looks down the hallway and at the end of the hallway, there's somebody standing there waving at him. And then no joke, I can't write this, no joke. He goes like this, he goes, well, good night. Boom, closes the door, closes the door. It is, I am Literally in utter darkness. I have not scoped out the bathroom. I got to pee. And the reality is creepy man is about to hover over me. You know what I mean? And I'm going, I never saw that coming. I'm like trying to text Sarah. I'm like, in case I die, I'm sorry for being a horrible husband. I love you. Uh, Take care of the kids. Like I'm just, and I never saw that coming. Here's what I believe when it comes to our relationship with God is that there's going to be tricky situations. There's going to be challenging situations. There's going to be difficult times. There's going to be moments where it doesn't make sense to follow God. But if we're willing to push through, and as James is going to instruct us and actually command us to do so, I believe we'll look back and we'll say, man, I never saw that coming. And what's really fun about this passage is that we're gonna get to some controversial stuff. And maybe you came to church today and you're like, man, this is like a safe place for me to not really be challenged or to just kind of do whatever I want or they're gonna just tell me Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves you, but tonight or this morning, this evening, whatever, whatever day we're in, I've been speaking at camps. I don't know where I am. Here's what I do know, that this passage is layered with controversy. And I'm gonna ask you as we dig into it, to go there with me because I believe at the end of it we'll say, I never saw that coming. Find me in James chapter five, James chapter five, beginning in verse 13, while you're flipping there or while you're opening up your app. The thing about the book of James is, is a lot of scholars and historians believe that it is one of the first written accounts of the church. That it is one of the earliest writings in our New Testament. And they believe that it was written by James, who was not just a follower of Jesus, he was actually the brother of Jesus. And as we're going to see next week, he was not convinced that Jesus was the Messiah until the very end. And this brother, this brother goes from thinking Jesus is a lunatic to authoring his letter and beginning this, in this way. James, a servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I think James looked at his brother And at the end of all of it said, I never saw that coming. Let's see what he does in James chapter five, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Now, what I love about what James does here is he basically spans the spectrum of experiences. He said, is any one of you in trouble? The the, the Greek word behind this is, do you have some kind of calamity? Is there some kind of weakness in you? Is there some kind of burden that you're carrying? Is there some trouble that you are experiencing? If so, I've got something for you. Or or if you're on the other end, if, if you're happy, 
This, another word for this would be if you're cheerful or in the Greek, the most literal translation is, are you encouraged? If you're feeling encouraged, then I've got something for you. What I love about what James wants to do here is he wants to say that God is the God of all of our seasons of life. Calvin actually, John Calvin, the great theologian, he looks at this verse and he summarizes it this way. He says, there is no time, there is no season that God does not invite us to himself. You see, some of, some of you have felt and thought for years that once you get your stuff together, that once your family finally gets fixed, once this brokenness in you is restored, then you can be in a relationship with God that looks like everyone else's. Or you've been convinced that the only kinds of people that God loves to interact with are the ones who have their stuff together and that your junk, the problems you're experiencing are too much for God. Friends, as we look at this passage, there is no season, there is no thing that we could go through, at which point God doesn't say, I want you to run to me. You see, you see when it comes to the troubles of our lives, I remember walking a family recently through a tragedy. They had a family crisis and it was horrible and it was painful. I remember talking with the wife and as she was crying, I looked at her and I said, here's the thing, you can choose to run away from God in your anger, or you can choose to run to God with your anger. See, one of the reasons you maybe are in trouble and you stay in this place of, I'm not gonna pursue God, I'm not gonna pursue God, is because you're convinced you gotta figure it out and he wants nothing to do with you. What James says is if you are on that end of the spectrum, if there's something going on, if there was a recent divorce or a breakup, or a tragedy, or you just found out some horrible news, or it just feels like, I was just talking with a guy after this last service, and it just feels like everything just caved in in his world. James says, I've got something for you. I've got something for you. And it's, I want you to pray. You see, in both trouble and happiness, in both famine and struggle and joy, God asks us, invites us, commands us to run towards him. But what does that look like? And maybe one of the reasons you haven't run to God is because you're not ready to say, life's amazing, life's great, everything's awesome, because right now it's not. That right now those kind of churchy answers that maybe you've heard or that people have shared with you, they're just not working. And there's too much anger and frustration and questions that those kind of childish answers are just not satisfying you anymore. And so you're staying all the way over there. Well, I've got something to share with you this morning that my, that my hope is sort of inches you a little bit closer and gets you on this walk, gets you on this run towards God. And it's the book of Psalms. You see, there's over 60 Psalms of lament in the 150 psalms. Those are psalms of people going, I don't get it, God. I'm angry at you, God. What is going on, God? And I want to read one to you, just one this morning. And I wonder if as I read this, if you didn't know that it had come from the scriptures, would you think it's inappropriate? And maybe some of you would, would, would read this as we read it, and you're going to go, you know what? That doesn't seem okay. It seems like that should offend God. It seems like that should anger God. Well, the opposite is true. God actually invites it. Because what God wants is for you to walk towards him with your anger, 
not run away, run away from him in your anger. Let's read Psalm, let me read to you Psalm 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. I wonder if any of your journal entries or your secret prayers or those tears have ever felt and looked like this. Verse two. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord at night. I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Have you ever been there? And if you're there right now, or you have been there, or you will be there, it's okay that you're actually invited by the God of the universe who put this story together for us to be honest about the pain and the rejection that you're feeling. This is why God invites us to pray. Verse eight, has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought to this I will appear. The years when the most high stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. In our last verse, with your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. You see, the psalmist, he is at such a place of brokenness that he has to remember years and years and years and years ago when he felt God, when he really deeply believed that God was with him. But don't miss those words in the middle where he said, where are you? God, where are you? Because the way life is going right now, it doesn't seem like you're here. Some of you, this summer has not looked like you had hoped it would look. And there is so much trouble that you're this close to walking away from God. And I'll be honest with you, you have two choices. You can run away from God in your anger or you could run towards God with your anger and maybe, just maybe, you'll find yourself saying, I never expected that. I never saw that coming. Well, on the other end of the spectrum is, is happiness, is joy, is, is life feels really great right now. And, and maybe you're in that season. And if, if the temptation of the troubled life is to run away from God in anger, the temptation of the happy, joyful life is to just be forgetful of God. To just think that your success, that everything good going on in your life is because of all the good decisions you've made, which surely as we live wise and make good decisions, that oftentimes things like that happen. But we all know that if we look at the word of God, it teaches that, every breath we take in is a gift from God. That's something you didn't manufacture. That, that isn't something that you gave yourself. That's the gift of God is breath and life. That the wealth and the success that you have is because of the talents 
and the skills and the abilities that God has given you. And so if you're in trouble, run to God with your anger. If things are going really well, James actually commands us. Both of these are imperatives, they're commands. He says, you've got to sing songs of praise. Check out the way Psalm 63 says it. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. We'll pause here. My lips will glorify you because your love is better than life. The psalmist here, he recognizes that there is no created thing. There is no relationship. There is no success. There is no object. There is no home. There is no neighborhood. There is no nothing that is better than God. And it is truly only God's love that is best of all. And so if things are going really, really well right now, I want to take what James says and, and give it to us and say, it's a command that you and I pause regularly and say, God, thank you for all of this, but your love is better than life. That who you are, God, is the very best. And in all seasons, whether in trouble or in happy, we are invited to run towards God. Well, here's where James then begins to get a little controversial. Find me in verse 14 and 15. He says this. Just like, is anyone in trouble or is anyone happy? Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make them well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. There is so much to unpack here. Let me start this way. God is in the miracle business, absolutely. That we see it in scripture and we hear testimonies and stories all the time that God is in the miracle business. I was rec- a few years ago, I was on a flight, actually many years ago, is when I was beginning to look at colleges. I was on a flight and I was checking out a school in Spokane, Washington. And we had to fly from Spokane to Seattle and then from Seattle to LA. I remember on this 60 person flight, there was only about seven passengers. So we got 60 seats and, and seven passengers and me and my buddy, we were checking out this school. And so him and I were about to get on the plane and, and the flight attendants, they told us, they said, we need you to sit in your assigned seats. I know you're going to see lots of open seats, but for the balance of the plane, we need you to go ahead and sit in your assigned seats. And so my buddy and I, we get on the plane and I'm in the, win- I'm in the aisle seat and, and he's in the window seat and we're seeing, you know, passenger number three, four, five, six, and seven come through and that's it. And it just so happens that one of them, actually his assigned seat, was literally right in the middle of us, right? I don't know if anyone else hates this, but you're like, really, God? Like, what are you punishing me for? You know what I mean? He's, he's sitting there in the middle of us. And I'm looking around, and there's all these open seats, and he's just right there in the middle of us. And so we're kind of sitting there, and I remember quickly, quickly into the flight, he opens up a magazine that we just didn't feel very comfortable with. And we were just like, oh, this is just going to be such a weird flight, and just want to get this over with. And And then he closes the magazine and we begin a conversation. And as we're having this conversation, he tells us his name is Abe. And he he tells us that he actually grew up a Christian. But that because of some things that happened in his life, he just decided to run away. There was too much anger and frustration, so he chose to run away. And, And I remember through this conversation praying, God, I wish I had something to give him. I wish I had a book to hand him. I wish there was something that I could do to remind him that you love him and that you care for him. And I remember throughout our flight kind of just praying this and, and wishing for that. 
Well, we land in Seattle and we ask him if he wants to join us for dinner. And so the three of us sit around this crowded food court table and we're eating a meal together. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this guy dressed in all black comes up behind me and taps me on the shoulder. He taps me on the shoulder and I'm expecting to be somebody I recognize. And I look back and I've never seen this guy before. And I look back and I'm like, hey man. And he goes like this. He goes, God told me to buy this book for you. I was like, creepy, right? This is weird. It's weird. And he hands me this book and it's, it's wrapped up and I kind of look at it. And, and Abe's like, does this happen to you all the time? And I was like, never. This is weird to me too. I don't know. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it. And I kind of look back and, and I look at it again. And I look back and the guy's gone. So I unwrap the book. And as soon as I realize what it is, it becomes crystal clear what God's doing. You see, this was a book that just that Christmas I had given out to five, six, or seven friends of mine who were in a similar situation where running away from God, were angry at him and and didn't feel like it was worth following him. And, And I had given these books and had conversations about what it would mean to rethink following Jesus. And as I'm looking at this book, it dawns on me, this book's not for me. This book is for Abe. Well, we have to wrap up our dinner real quick and we don't want to miss our flight. So we jump on our flight to LAX and this time we're kind of all spread out. And, and so I remember I'm in sort of the back of the plane. And I'm thinking, okay, when we land, I'm going to go up to Abe and, and I'm going to tell him this story. This is amazing. And so I, I then have this thought. I'm like, I want to I write a message to him. I want to I tell him this story in here so he'll never forget it. And, and so I look in my backpack and there's no pen at all. I don't, I don't have any, back, any pen in my backpack. And so I pray, I'm like, God, I saw you do it before. I, would you just bring a pen like abracadabra? You know, like, I don't know. Like, I just, just God, do, do something. Bring the pen, man. That'd be so cool. That'd be so awesome. And, and so then I like, wait a minute. And I unzip my backpack and I reach in. And guess what? There wasn't a pen. There was no pen. There was no pen. No pen in the backpack. And so I, uh, I'm like, really, God, really? And then I felt like he was like, Really, Eric? Really? Like, like, I need you to write a note? Like, I just did this miracle. I need you to write a note? No, I got this from here. And so I remember getting off the plane, and I walk up to Abe, and I go, Abe, I know this is crazy, but I've handed this book to a lot of people this Christmas season that were in a very similar situation as you're in. And I think God sent that guy to give me this book to give it to you, to tell you that he loves you, to tell you that he cares about you, to tell you that he hasn't forgotten about you. See, I believe that God is in the business of miracles. I, I believe that God is in the business of healing. And as we jump into this text, I think it's a little bit more complicated than just a surface level reading. And so I wanna see what it might mean for all of us and, and how we might best interpret this. So let's start in the beginning. Is anyone among you sick? So in the Greek, this word for sick is a really, really broad term. It can mean, honestly, someone that's fatigued, someone that's feeling weak, or it could mean somebody that's on their deathbed and anyone in between. Categorically, it could be somebody who has a mental illness. It could could mean somebody who has a physical illness, has a relational illness, has an emotional illness, has a spiritual illness. That this word sick spans the whole spectrum of trouble and fatigue all the way to death. And so he says, if any of you fit into that category, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. Elders, now here's what's really interesting. The time that this was written, which historians and scholars believe was in the early 50s AD, that there wasn't the formal church offices of elders yet. But what what he's implying here and what he's meaning is somebody who's mature in the faith. 
Somebody who's a little bit wiser. Somebody who's, who's passionate about following Jesus and has been on this long walk of obedience for a little while. And he says, gather them together, gather them together, and then anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, here's what's interesting about these two words, anoint and oil. Anoint has a very spiritual term to it. It has some deep spiritual meanings. Anointing was a spiritual practice that sort of separated or distinguished or um, sanctified or purified a person. And yet at the same time, Oil was used in the first century as a very common medicinal remedy. You see, see, oil, if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, this Good Samaritan comes along and finds this guy who's just been totally beaten up. He's been jumped. And one of the first things he does is he applies oil to his bruises. So you see, as we're gonna continue to see that with every word that James chooses, there's an earthly significance and there's a spiritual significance. That when he says sick, he's talking about physical ailments. He's talking about illnesses, but he's also talking about spiritual things. When he talks about anointing with oil, there's absolutely in his mind a kind of healing and and a kind of spiritual component to it, but there's also this very physical component. Then check out what he says next. And the prayer offered in faith, this is by the elder here at this point, the prayer that's offered in faith will make them well and the Lord will raise them up. Now, in, in my translation, it says make them well. In the Greek, the original language, the word that's used is that they will be saved. Sozo is the Greek word, that they will be saved. And what's awesome is that, again, this word is dripping with physical healing, meaning they're literally dying and then they will be healed. They have some kind of disease or illness and then they no longer have it. But you can't get away from the reality that this word also has at its core a deep spiritual implication of a kind of salvation that no illness or sickness or even death can touch a kind of salvation that found Jesus Christ, our God and our creator up on a cross, that when he died and when he rose from the grave, one of the the most powerful things he did was actually defeated the power of death that was brought into the world in the garden through our sin. Death was our story. Death was our ending. And in Christ and what he had done, he defeated death. He gave death a drop kick to the face and said, that will not be the end of my people's story. And then he says that he'll raise them up. And again, in this word, James absolutely has in mind physical healing, meaning the person literally is laying there and cannot get up. And because of prayers and because of faith and because of the miraculous, this person will rise up. But James, being the the masterful writer that he is, he's also saying there is a kind of resurrection coming that death can't touch. You see, I think there's enough in this text to say, you know what? We will pray in faith and we will believe. Literally just after this last service, I was sitting up front here praying for somebody who just found out about a horrible uh, crisis. A, A friend is in the ICU and we just prayed and we literally asked God to heal this kid. 
But there's enough in this word, there's enough in these two verses to say we will trust God with the result. How God chooses to heal, whether that's through doctors, whether that's through nurses, whether that's through oil and prayer, that however God wants to heal, we will trust him and we will even trust him, we will even trust him when the results don't look the way we want them to look because we know that he is still doing the amazing and the miraculous. There's a story of a pastor recently, a few years ago, who, whose daughter was stricken with cancer and, and they prayed for healing and prayed for healing and it didn't come. And at the, at the memorial service for his daughter, this pastor gets up and speaks and he talks about their store and he says, you know, it was, it was the last night that our daughter was with us. We gathered as a family to to watch a movie together. And at this point, and really for the last few weeks, their daughter had not been talking at all. That it was, her, her words were unrecognizable and she was very weak and frail. And so they were mostly just being present with her. Well, they watch this movie and then at about midnight, they wake her up to give her her medicines for that night. And as they're giving her the medicine, he, he whispered in her ear and he said, honey, tonight Jesus may wanna talk to you. Jesus may want to speak to you and, and say something to you. He, he may call you home to himself, and if he does, that's okay. And I can't imagine being there as a parent. Well, they give her her medicines, and the dad is on one side of the bed, and the mom's on the other, and their little daughter is right in between them. And all of a sudden, about 2 a.m., 2 a.m., they hear her speak in a way that they had never heard her speak before, it was loud and it was passionate. And she said these words. She said, that's awesome. And a few moments later, she passed away. You see, was she physically healed here on earth? No. But did she see something that she never saw coming? Absolutely. Paul adds this, or James adds this little component. If they have sinned, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. In the first century, it was commonly believed that if you had an illness, it's because you sinned. And I love that James says, not all illnesses are connected to sins. Some are. Some of the illnesses and the troubles we experience are absolutely a result of our sin, but many are not. And he says, but if there is sin, they will be forgiven. And then he gives this command. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. <clears throat> See, James says, look, you've got to start becoming a kind of community that's in, that invites each other in. I'm gonna say this as lovingly as I can. If you're a part of a life group or a small group or a Sunday school class and those people don't know your junk, they don't know your brokenness, you're doing something wrong. That biblically, biblically, you're commanded to be a part of a community that knows your sins, that knows your struggles. And not only are you doing something wrong, you're actually missing out on something incredible. The life group that I'm a part of, we've tried to practice this and we openly share the ways that we're broken. And we ask God to heal and we pray and we ask God to work in our midst. And, and literally just a few weeks ago, we started doing this thing, a few months ago, we started doing this thing where we pray and we ask God by the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And so at the end of our gathering time for like five minutes, five or seven minutes, we literally just get real silent. We say, okay, God, whatever you wanna say to us, we ask that you would absolutely speak to us right now. 
And we did this a few weeks ago. And, and at the end of our time of listening, we just open up the floor and say, okay, did God speak to any of you? Did God share anything? One person in our life group said, I just got this picture of a calculator. Like I couldn't get this calculator out of my mind. And, and I felt like God was telling me, my life is too calculated. It's too planned out. There's no room for God to interrupt, for God to intervene. There's no room for me to even say I never saw that coming because I've got everything so planned. See, that's what happens when the people of God come together and pray and wait on God as he moves in powerful ways. Another person in our life group saw a picture of a clock and they didn't know exactly why they saw the clock. They couldn't totally figure it out. But then the next morning, while this person was just spending time with Jesus, reading their word, going through it, all of this time and clock imagery began to surface. They were reading about how God is the author of all time and how God wants us to give all of our time to him and to trust him, to trust his plan. And it became crystal clear for, oh, what God was speaking to me last night, he's confirming now in and through his word. You see, that's what happens when we begin to live life together in community. And then James wraps up this section this way. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. See, James says, we have a long history of people who prayed big and watched for God to move. Who prayed big and watched for God to move. So here's the challenge and the invitation I wanna give us. In light of what James has said, every single one of you has something to do. That whether you're in trouble, pray honest, broken, real prayers. Read the Psalms of Lament. There's over 60 of them. If you're encouraged and life feels really good, don't forget God. Don't forget him. And if you're sick, if you have an illness, whether spiritual, emotional, physical, we want to pray for you. And we want to pray and we want to ask God to save you. And we want to ask God to heal you. And as we do that, we are gonna trust him with the results. Hey, I wanna encourage you to come back next week. Next week, we are literally gonna be looking at two verses, the last two verses in the book of James. And as we look at those, we're actually gonna look at a story that Jesus told. And I believe personally that this was Jesus's favorite story he ever told. And I also think it was James, the author of this book. I think it was his favorite story he ever heard because it sounds a lot like the last two verses. And I believe next week, as you come back here and as we wrap up this series, that you and I are gonna walk away and go, man, God is bigger, better, more beautiful than I ever thought possible, and he has something for me to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that as we move into a time of communion, all of this, how we handle our troubles and our joys and our sicknesses, hinges on the reality that you are a God who came to planet Earth for us, to save us eternally. So God, in our time of communion, we recognize that you gave up your body for us, that your blood was spilled on our behalf so that we might live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.